Hey folks, Dave Ayava here, and welcome to another episode of Under Pressure. I uh, am here solo today without my partner in crime, Joey D'Onofrio, who is on a plane, and he'll be back for our next episode. Uh, we are very excited to introduce our next guest, who kind of has his hands in a bunch of things down in Tennessee. Welcome to the show, Caleb Broth of the Stain and Seal Experts, and uh, you're hey. in Australia, Tennessee, right? Yeah, man, we're right outside of Nashville, so... Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. So let, let's um let's get the uh let's get the pink, the big elephant out of the room, man. I'm sorry about the Titans. You know that was awful. <laughs> We're New England fans up here, but uh, you know we lost we lost even worse. So uh, you know we we want to jump right into a couple of things here and and uh, talk a little bit about your story and and how your your business grew. But uh, one thing I noticed and we talked about it before we started the podcast was. Uh, um, you got your hands in a lot of uh, online outreach, and um, you, you you have blog engagement. You're doing podcasts. You you have uh, YouTube instructional videos. Uh, you even have Stain University uh, coming up in Nashville. Um, what what was your impetus for kind of getting into that? And I, I also noticed one thing: you started your blog on my birthday when I turned 47, so uh, on October 11th, uh, 2017. But I, I did notice like your engagement with that really picked up in 2021. Um, so what got you thinking into this whole idea of reaching people from multiple sides? Man, I'll be honest. I started, I was a service business operator and, and it was a team of one, me. And of course I had the support of my lovely wife, but, uh, I was out doing the grunt work and I couldn't afford anything other than this cell phone and I could do free videos. Here I am doing a video. I'm here's the job I just did. Call me. Here's my phone number. And that's how it got started. Um, and it just, it was what I could afford. I grew up in the fencing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those days, um, you know, ran the family fence business. We had to do yellow pages. And so I knew that it cost a lot of money to advertise. I'd grown up hearing it costs more money every year, you know, and it's for this little bitty thing in the yellow pages. And, right. and I knew I had to do something that I could afford. And so internet was free and a very powerful tool that we've learned to utilize. But yeah, doing doing it for free. Uh, was how I got started, just doing live videos. Great. Now, uh, when you kicked over into podcasts, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, preaching to the safe there, but I, I sure, I'm, cer- I'm certain you realize, that, like, you know, marketing changes weekly. Um, you know, and uh, we found podcasts to be a great way to reach out and communicate with people. What got you into the podcast business? You know, I never looked at the podcast as a business. I looked at it as a way to, um, to learn, to, to educate myself. And if I could record it, then I could. Edu- you know, let others be educated as well through listening. So it started out by uh, when I wanted to get into a new venture in business, I would call the biggest guy on the block that does the same thing. Maybe maybe he's in the next state over or, or on the other side of the country and just say, hey, I'm a young guy. I'm business minded. I'm in this business, the same business you're in. I notice you seem to be the you know number one guy in your town and you've been doing it for 30 years. Would you give me some advice? And um, that's how the podcast started. Um, most of those early phone calls were never recorded. They were just conversations that I would have candidly with guys on the other side of the country. I find that guys in their 50s and 60s kind of, they like to help younger guys. They like to see somebody that's hungry. And and uh, so I took, I took advantage of it, called them up, asked for help, took all their advice, wrote it down, learned a lot of lessons. And I thought, man, this would be good if we did this on a radio show. So the podcast was born. And uh, it's not a huge podcast, but I think everybody listening is right kind of in the same space we are. So mm-hmm. uh, every little, you know, every little bit helps. Every time we get a new guest on that, that shares a ton of knowledge, it's, uh, it's a good thing. Sure. It definitely helps out the people who are out there listening. Um, mm-hmm. 
You know, when you got when you got started, you said you got started in the the, uh, the fencing industry, and um, you know what precipitated to move the, the move into the stain stain and seal area of your business. You know, you know. Long story short, I grew up in a fence business, and and we did it the we did everything the old fashioned way. We didn't have systems, we didn't have processes. Um, we did you know about a million dollars a year in fencing every year. And uh, we were we were working on the wrong margins, so we weren't making enough money. Right. Uh, just one of those deals, and basically got tired of being, you know, wanting more. And so I said, "Hey, I'm going to start a side business." I I think God told me to do it. I don't know if you guys are believers or not, but just one day, you know, I'm going to call it God. But there was this voice inside of me that said, "Go learn to stain fences," and boom, I said, "Okay, I'm going to do it," and uh, I did it, and never looked back. But yeah, that was just it was just one of those things. I took my last. Uh, you know, in December, I took my last couple bucks and, and went down and, and found a place to learn how to stain and haven't looked back. Great, great. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's amazing how when you when you think of uh, or, you, you know, even even people you talk to, you talk about it, building a million dollar business and mm -hmm. people automatically assume you're making a lot of money. <laughs> you know, yeah. and in today's world, like in the, in the business world, you know, it really comes down to what your margins are. And uh, you can be making a mm -hmm. million dollars and make one dollar profit for the year or lose money uh, at a million dollars. Yeah. yeah. And um, you, you mentioned how uh, you know early on you didn't have those those operating procedures, and you know I I had a similar reflection in, in my life where it, it, you know you had to decide between um, is my business a job or is my business going to be a company, and uh, yeah. you know um, so tell us a little bit about that moment and when you when you really realized you had to get structure into your business and, and well, how you went about doing it. Yeah, so I, I think it just came down to yearning for someone in my life to be a mentor yearning for someone you know and so that's why i was reaching out to all those older guys because i really needed somebody standing over my shoulder uh, like a granddad or a father figure that was was saying hey you know somebody who'd been in the business for 40 years and yeah. now they're here to help me along and i just didn't have that so um it was a family business but we th those things weren't in place so really uh, for me, it's just uh, the thing that's probably given me the most success is finding people that are smarter than me and asking questions and listening, listening for, to what they say. And I try to, that's kind of, you know, back to our staining event. That's, that's what that's all about is bringing people in that have been there and done that and let them talk, sit down and be quiet and let them talk. Let them tell you what, you know, uh, let them tell you what they think you need to know. Because a lot of times, a lot of times you think you need to know something, so you'll ask a specific question, but a right. lot of times you need to know what, what you don't, you don't know what you don't know. So, right. um, sometimes I find it best just to sit down and be quiet and just let the old man talk, you know? Right. right? So it's, it's be careful on the old man thing. Cause I'm an old man. So <laughs> yeah, tell us the story, you know, you know, Yeah. so, so that, but that's it. You know, I think that just got started ha having a yearning for that person in my life or that multiple people that I could, I could look up to and that could help me along. And, uh, People did that, and they continue to do it, and we try to do the same thing with our business. Right, and then from that, you built out your operational procedures, and you know what each person in the business specifically does. And yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's a tough one. You know, I think there was an aha moment for me. I traveled to the West Coast to see a friend of mine who had a he's got a forty million dollars service business. And I, I was so excited. I was going to learn all these systems and processes. And I just had this image in my mind that there was going to be software. They're going to have all these pro computer programs and softwares and things in place and automations. And uh, so I was really ready to go learn about all this technology because, you know, a company that big has got to be using technology. Right, right. When I, got, when I got there, what I saw was 
paper and people paper <laughs> wow. you know, a, a few a few spreadsheets a uh, calendar on the computer uh, and a stack of papers and if there's a stack of papers that aren't closed you call them until they close and if they don't close you and if they go with somebody else you can check them off but what i found was systems were really 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 simple they were made to be simple on per on purpose with this particular person and uh, I copied it. You know, they, you know, the guy walked me into his office and he, he told all the ladies in his office, he said, anything he wants to know, he can know it. All the books, all the money, show it all to him. Any question he asked, answered. He has keys to the kingdom. And um, so I got to look at everything. I mean, not, not that I was there to look at their financials, but I was there to look at the systems and what made uh, a business like that work. And um, that helped me tremendously and copied you know, borrowed, stole, copied all of that, you know, which most, most people, they, he said, here, take it, use this in your business. Right. And I just, that was really eye opening to me to, to realize that systems are not hard. It's like you get up and go to the bathroom, write it down. What do you do to go to the bathroom? And, you know, it's a couple of steps, right? right. Write them it down. Is. That's the process, you know, brush your teeth. It's a couple of steps, write it down. And your business is the same way. So that's why we, I just started sitting down and writing things out. And now you know, I do things differently. Um, now we have so many moving people and people in our business that we we get the person to write their their procedure. So I guess if we're talking about power wash guys, you got a guy that's been with you for ten years. Say, hey, when you clean, you know, when you put a new hose on the hose reel, when one breaks, what are the steps you follow? Could you write that down? That's a system, right? You know, what do you do in the morning when you check the truck to make sure it's got enough oil in it and you know, gas, you check the tires. What do you do? Write that down. That's a system. And now, you know, if it's a computer, a person who works on the computer, you can do a screen record. So if we're shipping a package to Alaska and it's got to get on three different airplanes and have custom forms and everything else, right. do a screen record and then talk, you know, you, you do a 200 of these a day, do a screen record on one and save it. And, and now if that person's out, they're sick or whatever, you've got a system there recorded and you've got somebody teaching you how to do it. And um, I'm, I'm not saying we're doing it the right way, but that's what we're doing. And, um, you know, systems are systems are easy. You know, they're easier than, than we like to think they can. They, there's off, often some complexities with simple stuff. Right. But right. Uh, but I th but I think most people just are looking for a place to start. And I think the place to start is just write down what you're doing. Um, Right. Yeah. That, that is that that is the, the basics. It also, you know, it allows like, you know, there's there's people that get into business and they have a job and, and, and it, it's still a job, even though it's a business. And um, yeah, to, to really kind of create a real business that becomes an asset. Um, it's really about replacing yourself up the chain of command. And there's no way to do that without those procedures. So, you know, when you're hiring that next person or you're, um, you know, I always say, you know, hire you don't hire a person to do a job, hire your next manager, you know. Yeah, the I think the hardest the hardest re, the, the thing that's so hard for most guys to, at least for me, mo, I think most entrepreneurs uh, or guys we'll call them owner operators. Those are mm -hmm. those are entrepreneurs too. Um, we think we can put out all these fires at once. We have all these things going on, and we can make decisions quickly. We're comfortable with it. Um, some people don't like doing that. Right. Some people really. Some people really. It's it's like the entrepreneur trying to sell something to an engineer. <laughs> the entrepreneur just wants to go, go, go. The engineer wants facts and figures and right. test data, and he wants to think about it, and he needs to go examine it. Yep. Everybody doesn't make decisions the same way. So systems, um, 
can really help you to streamline your process. So if you do it the same way every time, even if, even if you're on a job site, for instance, um, I'm trying to relate this to power washing. Let's just say you always fill, fill your truck up or your power wash rig up with fuel every single day, no matter what. Um, and that's one of your systems always, or fill it up the night before. Cause that's going to be faster. Cause guys are ready to get home. They'll fill their truck up faster in the afternoon, Right. fill it up every day. Well, it, it may only need a half a gallon to top it off. And it, you as an owner operator can make that distinction. It's only got 30 minutes runtime on it. It's still almost full. We don't need to fill up. Right. But when you're trying to scale your business, you need to be doing the same thing every day. Because if you give, yep. you know, if you give too much freedom of choice, um, things tend to start to go haywire. And, and, I'm, and I'm slowly starting to learn that. And uh, one of my mentors named Jeff Konopak from the Deck Medic franchise, they're, they're the biggest deck staining uh, franchise in the world, I guess. And um, they do a five-step process on everything. They rest- so, so if it's a brand new deck or a 20-year-old deck, they're going to strip it. They're going to wash it. They're going to uh, sand it. The, you know, the process is the same either way. And I said, why do you do that? And he said, because we can scale it. Right. You know, we can teach people those same five steps to do it over and over and over again. And we're teaching the five steps and it, it, it always gets done right. So, you know, things like that were really eye opening to me for processes yep. and, and uh, we struggle just like everybody else, but we're trying to get it figured out. Yeah, know? well, so, I mean, you can see where that's important, too. If you have, you know, you got yeah. five or six crews out there and, and people are making the, their own determinations about, you know, uh, should, I, should, we, should we sand this deck or not? You know, what one customer might think it's too rough, one customer might think it's not, and then you, you're, you have an inconsistent product, and how do you mm-hmm. scale that, right? So it, it completely makes sense. Um, very interested in Stain University. We, uh, uh, folks, before we got on the air today, we we, we had a discussion about uh, collaboration in, in the business in businesses and and how valuable that is, and kind of moving away from the concept of worrying about your competition and, and really rethinking that and, and having more mindset of abundance, which is you know working with them, you know, and, and sharing ideas. Right. And uh, you invent you invented the um, the Stain University, uh, which is coming up in Nashville. Uh, you know, uh, tell us how you got there. How, how did you, what in your head clicked where you were like, you know what, I need to work with these people and we need to kind of educate everybody and how that, how that, you know, we, we, it's great. We all want to help every, our, uh, our community. We also want to help ourselves as a business. How did those two things merge for you? Well, first of all, there's nothing in the world like it, you know, power wash guys, pressure washers, whatever they, what, you know, some people refer to different things. They have industry expos, you know, paint painters, they have expos, electricians, fence builders. Um, it doesn't matter what you do. Most professions have that industry big event every year. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, you got the huge convention. We didn't have that. You know, we're not fence builders. We're not painters. We're not necessarily power washers. We're, um, we're professional wood care contractors, really, you know, for, for what we do. We, we stain fences. We stain decks. We restore old wood. We do cabins. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that fall into those categories. And so we really wanted to come up with, you know, uh, you know, a group or an event that brought in our people to it so that we could learn. We could, you know, we can go to a painting convention and a power washing convention and a fence convention and we can take little pieces from each one. But really, why wouldn't we just have where everybody who's relevant is under one roof? Um, so so that's what we we started that for that reason. And for the second reason was 
you know, it just helps people. If you, if you can get, like I talked about Jeff earlier from Deck Medic, they can mm-hmm. come in, they'll teach because it means something to them. They're into this community, you know, um, and you bring in somebody else from another part of the country and someone else. And eventually we get all these companies together and all these guys are sharing their ideas. And then people come to participate and learn. They bring ideas to the table, too. And so what we wind up with is basically this huge roundtable and mastermind with people of varying skill and proficiency levels, both at their craft and in business. And we all just learn stuff. I mean, you get the guy who's the, the richest guy in the room and he walks away going, wow, you know, I learned a lot today. And then you get the guy who's sleeping in his car who, or hitch, you know, we've had guys hitchhike halfway across the country to come to it and they go, wow, I learned so much. So it's, there's really something there for everybody, but it was just getting everybody in our own industry together to do something for the greater good of everyone. Great. Uh, Caleb, we're going to take a little break here. I uh, got to pay some bills. So uh, we'll be back in one minute. You certainly can't afford to give profit away for no reason. But what if I told you credit card processors may be overcharging you and robbing you of profits you've worked hard to earn? It's time to put an end to being overcharged for payment processing. It's time to take back your profits. That's why we've put together a free report, How to Avoid Being Overcharged by Your Payment Processor. Head over to TakeBackYourProfits.com, download the report, and put an end to being overcharged for credit card processing. You've worked hard for your sales, and you deserve to keep it. What are you waiting for? Go to TakeBackYourProfits.com and download your report today. All right, we're back. Uh, we're here with uh, Caleb Roth. Uh, continue to talk about uh, uh, you know the business models that we develop within our organizations and, and how they're really um, you know helping our businesses grow and, and helping that community grow. And um, you know. The, the we just got through talking about the the university and and how that's going to help people moving forward. Um, how how uh, you know using the skill sets that we just talked about? How has this all kind of helped you expand out your business and grow your business and become who you are? Where did you come from? How did you get to the middle? And how did you get to where you are now? Um. So so Staining University in itself has just introduced me to a lot of really great people. Um, you know we I think we attract good quality people and they show up to our events and you learn stuff from them. Um, I don't think, um, I could have, I don't think I would be where I am in business today. We're not at the top by any means, but I don't think I would have, uh, learned the lessons I've learned without having those people to sort of, uh, quantum leap me ahead, you know? So just having good people around me, like I said, is what's done it. Um, and then that event has just brought more and more good people into our lives. So, um, where we are, where we started to where we are now to where we want to go is obviously light years apart. So um, we're just working on it, man. We're just grinding. Excellent. Uh, it, just to offer, you know, a simple piece of advice to, to the people out there listening. Um, let, let's say they're owner operators and, and they, they, they want to make the next step into, into growing their business from that one man shop, that one man job, because that, that tends to be a place a lot of people cap out. You know, they're doing it every day. I, ju- I just talked to a guy at a power washing convention. He's, he's been in the business for 25 years. He's, he's probably doing about seven, 800,000 in revenue over the course of the year, which is pr- pretty awesome for just him and his wife. Um, but he's like, I can't, I, I don't know how to grow. I, I, this, I keep hitting this wall. I'm hitting the ceiling every time and I can't seem to get past it. If you were sitting with him today, what would you, what would you say to him? How, what would be the next step that he would have to look at? Well, I would ask the guy, what does he want? Mm-hmm. I mean, seven or 800,000 a year in revenue for a power wash company that has two people and they're both owners and both operators. Yep. 
that's a, I, I don't know if that's a lot of, he's hustling. Yep. Like he's moving and, and he's probably one or the other. He's probably starving to death or he's probably making a ton of money. Um, just hand over fist. I don't know, but I would, I guess, I guess the question every man has to ask himself or every lady has to ask herself in business is what do I want this business to provide? Some, you know, here's, here's an epiphany I had not too long ago. We did an event. Uh, we did a standing university event in Springfield, Missouri. And I saw two of my really good friends there that I met in the industry. One of them is about a $20 million company. He's growing all the time. He helps a ton of people. One of the greatest guys I know. Um, and then another guy, fantastic guy. He's sort of semi-retired. He did well in life. He, he has a great time, loves life, happy. And I looked at them both and they were both happy. And I said, who's the happiest? And, and I couldn't answer the question. They're both totally happy, but they're both two, two, two different people. So I think the question everybody's going to ask themselves is what's going to make me happy. Do I want a business that, that runs itself, um, that I can collect money from for retirement or to pass down to my children? Or do I want to go fishing three days a week and work, you know, just enough to, to have that freedom. And I think that's really what it comes down to. I think if that guy's doing seven or 800 grand in revenue, then he, he should be working on a good enough margin that he's got a huge Mm. uh, fund sitting there that he can start bringing people on with. So so I don't know. I mean, I think there's more questions to it than what I could, you know, more than meets the eye in that particular one. But I think you just got to know what you want first. Um, Yeah. And that, that, you know, know, yeah, that, that happened to us um, a while back. uh, You know, when we were growing as a company, we, we, how to make the decision, you know, do we stay here? And, and, you know, we were making decent money. We, we had a good lifestyle. Um, it could always be, you know, what, whatever you define is better is, it, you know, is more money better is a bigger house better, whatever that individual defines is better. Um, for me personally, I define it as, as a uh, peace of mind. As long as I have peace of mind, yeah. I'm happy, you know, and if that, I could be in a little house, a big house, it doesn't really matter. But um, every business is going to come up to that point where you know you're you're saying to yourself okay do i stay here or do i grow and you know someone a quote this is uh from a from a company called ieb and i heard this quote and it really stuck with me it's like what got me to here can't get me to there and uh so at some point you hit a point where your own efforts are not going to be good enough and and growth is going to have to come from somewhere and and i i think we talked a lot about that stuff today and that's you know creating a solid sop so you have systems in place that allow you to grow that allow you to uh, introduce new people uh into the process uh, move you further up the chain of command get you to be a little bit more creative focus on more things that are growing your business while you're not doing the day-to-day operations so, you know, I think we all faced that point. You, you obviously faced it at one point. I faced it. And it's, uh, it's, it's uh, like you said, some people just want to go fishing. And that's fine, too. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it all comes down to, to, to those individual things. Um, so as far as, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, your upcoming event out in Nashville and uh, when it is and times and who can come. and Yeah, man. Let's, let me back up just a minute, uh, if you don't mind. If we have time. Yeah, we got plenty of time. Yeah. Look. So... So I guess something that, that I don't like to give advice, but I can tell you a story, right? I mean, you can take what you want to learn from it. Sure. Um, the things that have helped me in business, one, one thing I've heard a thousand times and you've heard it too, is you've got to get out of your own way. And you hear that over and over again. You've got to get out of your own way. 
I, um, I hear people that, calling me four times a day. So yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do so, that a lot. <laughs> so what does that mean though? Nobody, yep. there's that, that doesn't really mean anything to anybody it, or it means 10 different things. So it, it could mean you have to let go of certain tasks in your business that you're not good at, or maybe certain tasks that you are good at. It could mean, it can mean so many things, but what has helped me probably the most is procedures and processes. Sure. That's just something you got to do, but a couple of lessons and a couple of things that held me back the longest were one was seeing potential in someone. Maybe you have someone on your team and they're not a good performer, but they have a ton of potential. And I think the mistake that I made early on was I would look at somebody and I would say, man, if I was that guy, I would do this because he has so much potential and the, and I would hold on to them for so long thinking, but they've got all this potential. If I could just change them or if I could just get through to them. But the problem is some will and some won't, you know, they're not. So holding on to people that I saw potential in was a mis, was one of the biggest mistakes I made. And the reason I say it was a mistake was because every time I got rid of one of those people or they left on their own, someone better came in mm-hmm. and replaced them. And sometimes it was really hard for me to let go of somebody. Like, for instance, maybe your number one operator in a pressure washing business. It's the number one guy. He runs everything. You depend on him. He's become a crutch for you. Um, but he doesn't meet up. He's not your ideal team player, or he doesn't have the same morals as you. He doesn't have the same ethics. Um, or maybe maybe he just does drugs, whatever. Um, but he doesn't line up with your core values. I We started letting those people go immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, because we owe it, number one, we owe it to our other team members not to let somebody drag them down. But number two, somebody better always came in. Right. Now, when, when did, like, make this a little bit more conversational, too, is is that that's such an important factor in business. And, you know, when did you, because it, 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 when you're getting in business or when you're starting a business, I had a real problem with taking my, the heart out of working with someone. You know, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, you want someone to succeed, you care about them because you've been working with them for a while. Um, I, I've had that problem in my business of, 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 like you said, holding on. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's viewing their potential. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's like the, uh, it's like the bad girlfriend you want to fix, you know? And, um, how were you able to kind of get past that? Because that, that to me was a tough one. Um, I, I, I needed other people in my business to kind of come to me and say, Dave, this isn't going to work out. You got you to make a move. Two, two, two reasons. So two things. One, all your, other, all your other people in your business will lose respect for you as a leader. Mm-hmm. It's a possibility, right? Mm-hmm. And Makes two, um, I think that's, I mean, I think that's it. It's, it's, it holds you back. And right. I think that's pretty much it. That's, that's what I've found to be true in my business. And right. and so that was a, that was a big problem, having a big heart, loving on people and wanting them to do well and knowing they have kids and all this. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not going to step up to the challenge and, right. and uh, if you're not going to step up and do what is right, um, then, then you're a great worker. There's a thousand other people who will hire you, but you're just not going to fit here with our team because right. we're going uh, we're going somewhere different than where other people are going. So that was a big mistake for me. Another big big mistake that I made in business was, and I don't want to say mistake, but it's something I learned was the people that I hired that I was scared to death I couldn't afford them mm-hmm. were were the best hires I made. 
the ones where you go, oh, the, if, if somebody comes into my business and it's like, there's no, there's no question about it. We can afford this person. Are they really a rock star? Right, right. There's no bargain. The guy that, there's no bargain. Yeah, the, place. <laughs> the guy. Yeah, the, no. but it, not not that those can't turn into great team players right. and winners and and rock stars. But when a rock star walks through the door, what's going through your mind? You're going, oh my god, how can I? I can't afford this right. guy or, how, or this gal right now. We're looking for. I'm looking for a rock star saleswoman. So if you know anybody, but anyways, um, so every, every single hire I made where I I was afraid. How am I going to afford them? I can't afford them. Right. Looking back six months later, I go, oh my gosh, we we couldn't afford to not have them. Know, these, right. these were the best. They're the best hires we made. So so early on, not being afraid to, um, I think I could have grown my business faster early on if I had um, taken a little more risk on hiring a good good salesperson uh, or a good operator or a good whatever you know order shipping department clerk or whatever right. you, you know there's a reason that big big companies pay headhunters tons of money to find these people really rock star people yeah, in the long um, run so it, even if you're paying them in the wrong in you know in the long run you're gonna save money no matter what because if you're you're getting the non rock stars and you're training them and they're leaving or you have to you make the decision they have to go that whole training process yeah. has to start over again. That's going to cost you time and money, more resources. It, it's just better to go get the better people. Right. And I think the better people are generally more reasonable people too. And they, and they, they, they're not dumb. So if they come to work for you and, and they, they just aren't, you know, if you're paying them six figures, but they're not producing enough to pay for that, those people are usually smart enough to know. And, and they'll either one, they'll figure out a way to fix it. Or they'll two, they'll say, Hey, yeah, it doesn't make sense for you to pay me this. And I'm only producing that. What can we do to fix it? So, you know, that's something to consider is good people cost, cost good money. And, um, you know, well, that, 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 leads in, that leads into the bigger, you know, the big question um, is, you know, as you're building your company, how do you identify who those people are? Um, how do you how do you figure out that their personality? Like, because sometimes you have you have a really good person uh, skill wise who's a good fit skill wise, but not the right fit personality wise, or they're not right for a job or they'd be better in another job. You know, what, what's your process for determining, you know, what type of people will fit the stain and, and steel culture? Well, one, you know, there's all kind of little things, all kind of, co- you know, many companies do. We do, you know, we do disc assessments on everyone. Everybody's got a disc assessment on their desk that shows their, you know, their profile or they dominant or whatever. Um, and, and ways I'm looking at mine right now when communicating with me, things you should do. And when, when communicating with me, things you shouldn't do. So those things help. Um, but really what, what we found is creating a culture in our business that was sort of self-policing. So for instance, every Monday morning, when we do our Monday morning meeting, we start with a Bible, uh, story or a Bible, uh, you know, lesson because mm-hmm. one of my operations manager, he's a Sunday school teacher. So he does a, he does a lesson for us. Right. Somebody, someone who doesn't align with that, they're just naturally going to phase out. They're just not going to, you know, you're, you can't come to work here and, and just be a crazy party person and, and cussing all the time and being an immoral human being. You're going to wash out. You're not, they're not going to want to be here. Right. Right. You know, even if my people are the nicest people in the world to him, he's not going to be, want to be around that. And the same thing, if you create a culture of high performers, the low performers aren't going to want to be there. You know, the, the, um, the the it's like a sports team right the best want to go be on the best team so we we've found that creating a good culture has really helped with those issues and if and if there is an issue 
like you're talking about, a really good performer with a bad attitude or a bad attitude or, or a good attitude, I, I don't I don't think it would go the same. I think the bad attitude would be the one that you'd want to get rid of. Right. Somebody who's, you know, I've got some low-skill people right now that we're, we're working with and training up, and they've got a great attitude. That's what we're looking for. So I think culture is important. Having a good culture has been really uh, been a good thing for us because it's taken it away from the one guy at the top has to watch everything to I've got a whole team surrounded by me, then they're all protecting it because it's valuable and it means something to them. So a whole team um, having a good culture has been a game changer for us. How was, how, was, how was the process of hiring your first employee ever? I don't remember, man. I, I grew up in the business, hired so many people over, over the <laughs> years. Um, so when I was in the fencing business, we used a lot of subcontractors. And one of the things um, that, that we found in that business was a lot of subcontractors. Basically, um, they played the field. Mm-hmm. And basically, they, they would call one guy and say, hey, he's paying me $5 a foot. And then they'd call somebody else and right. say, he's paying me 6 And then they would just go back and forth. And it was, it, it created a, a game and a dynamic in the market of basically the company owners were held hostage by the labor force. Right. Um, and they might not, you know, we'll be there tomorrow to do the job. Well, tomorrow comes and they don't call. And I dealt with a lot of that. And I said, I don't want that. I want good people. And so we don't we don't run subs. We run all employees. And uh, just hiring employees is not something that I do anymore because I like to hire everybody. Right, right, right. You know, if you walk in the door, I'm a, yep. I'm a nice guy. I think you I... are too. So I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. So, so we have a process now. And we've got other people that have hired a lot of people and they hire for us. But um, one thing I do like to do is I like to spend a little bit of time with the person before we ever hire them. Mm-hmm. And I like them to go spend a little bit of time with every person on our team. Uh, maybe 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes with the guy that sweeps the floor, with the lady that makes the wood samples, with the guys who put stain on, with the lady who answers the phone, with a salesman, operations, doesn't matter. I like, uh, and then what I can do is after they leave, I can have a meeting and say, hey, you know, Jim that came in and tried out for a job or whatever, what did y'all think about him? Mm-hmm. And um, if if one person goes, you know, I had a bad feeling about that guy, we're not going to hire him. Right. You know, because intuition, I believe, is a big thing. You ask Jeff Bezos how, you know, when they ask him how he made all the decisions in his business, and he said, well, it was usually a gut feeling. And so I put a lot of weight in that. And if somebody gets a bad feeling about somebody, that's good enough for me. Right, right. And um, so I I feel like we have a lot better chance of getting the right or wrong people in place, right people in place, if, if everybody goes and spends a little time with them, you know? So Great. It gives your you employees never, a sense of ownership too, right? That they're a part of the Well, it, it does, but, you know, you're going to talk to the boss. You're going to talk to the boss or the the HR manager, whoever is hiring you. You know, you're going to have your 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 T's crossed and your I's dotted, right? You're going to be on, the, on your A game. But if you go talk to the person downstairs yep. who maybe is in production and, and maybe um, maybe – they, they seem more like an equal to that person. There's no telling what they'll say. You know, they might say, you know, we were out um, doing something last night at a, that we shouldn't have been doing, you know. Um, and, and, and those things, I think, I learned that from a guy named Matt Warner over at Empire Fence. He taught me that one, and it's, it's been a good one for us. Right, right. Better. Yeah. You know, what, one of the things that I, uh, that I learned in my travels, uh, and I, I think I kinda, it's kind of a key factor with, with keeping uh, employees – 
you know, well-trained, happy, and really connected to the business is, um, is not focusing so much on what the employee can do for your business, but how you could help your employee grow. Um, and how, 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 how do we get them better and help them achieve their objectives uh, is, you know, a real good way to create ownership without giving away ownership in a business, you know, uh, and, and keeping them yeah. and keeping them happy and focused on the goal and, and really, you know, develop that kind of a family atmosphere and, and, you know, not so much an employee boss relationship, but more of a family atmosphere within a business. Um, how's that called? How is the, how do you build that culture? you know, within your, within the community of your, your, uh, business? Well, like I said, we, we, we do great team meetings. Um, we have good people to start with, you know, we have gathering, you know, we'll have parties or whatever a couple times a year and get all the kids together. Everybody knows everybody's kids. Everybody knows everybody's family. We, we know other people, you know, my production manager, Danny, I know his mom, I know his dad, I know his kids, I know his wife. And, you know, those things help. But I think you just said it, you know, Zig Ziglar said, if you help enough other people get what they want in life, you too will get what you want. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I think that's true. Um, you know, I think, for example, a lot of people have come to work for us that didn't maybe have direction in life. And, uh, for instance, knew one day that they wanted a house or wanted a car, or wanted to move out of their mom's basement or whatever. And, um, I think just helping people align with things, you know, we've seen a lot of, a lot of our folks here have wrote down a goal cause we nudged them a little bit, right. wrote down a goal and said, Hey, by the time I turn 30, I want to have my own house and boom, they're moving in on their birthday and they set the goal six months before their birthday, yep. you know? So t the last 10 years they've been wanting it, but until they wrote it down and, and, and really, you know, connected with it, they couldn't make it happen. So yeah. we like to do that, you know, and don't have a target, you can't hit anything, right? Yeah, that's for sure. So I think having a target and, and getting a team member, we do a lot of surveys and stuff in our company too. So having, having people write down their goals and stuff is important. I feel like. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the, uh, let's go back to your, your, your event coming up. Tell us a little bit about it, it, where it's going to be. And so we do the biggest wood professional wood care um, event in the universe. Um, <laughs> in the whole universe, we can't, <laughs> yeah, we, we, you can't find a bigger one. That's awesome. So it's it's called Staining University. We're we're probably changing the name uh, to Professional Wood Care Expo or something like that. Um, but right now it's called Staining University, and it's a place where you can learn fence staining, deck staining, wood restoration. So we can clean fences, stain uh, clean decks. Uh, we'll learn all about the chemicals used in it. We'll learn about, you know, if you got a fence that's green, how to get the green out. If you got a, we learn how to sand, how to get rid of the fuzz that comes up in wood restoration, all the tools, all the chemicals, all the um, application and techniques and just all the trade, right? right. So all the trade of that. We uh, we have a fence in Skadal school that runs parallel to it. We have Pressure Washing Institute. Um, their event, they, they bring in a ton of their people as well, Ron Musgraves and his crowd. And, yep. Uh, they're going to be there. Um, we we bring in, like I said before, tons of people that are in business. Every, everybody that teaches at Standing University um, has nothing for sale. They own a business that is seven, eight figure business, mm -hmm. and and we pay them nothing to come do it. It's really and truly a, a just it's a miracle that it even happens, right? Because right. nobody's getting paid. It's right. like we do it. We, we fund it 
and we don't get paid to do it. So, but it always, it always works out, you know, it's just the way it goes. So, um, so it's a free thing. It just, it is what it is, man. We just bring in the best and we, we, we try to, we try to learn and share and just create that big mastermind of people there. And, and we all go home better for having come. Right. And it's three, three days. It's February 24th, 25th and 26th. 2022 it's at uh, right outside of nashville at the tennessee state fairgrounds and uh, it's going to be a blast and i think everybody listening should come to it absolutely get out there you know make uh, put that time aside on your calendar nashville's a heck of a town if you haven't been to nashville before you need to get there mm-hmm. if you like music and you like food and you like high energy and you like youth it's uh it's like a dream city so uh get out mm-hmm. to nashville and enjoy the conference and we're, we're hoping to see you guys out there as well so Got uh, Caleb, we were uh, thrilled to have you on, man. Thanks for all your insight and, and help that you you continue to provide to people in your community. Um, we are really looking forward to having you on again to, to get get into depth and a little bit more insight into some other things. But uh, thanks for your time and, and thanks for joining us on Under Pressure. Hey, man, it's been a blast. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and smash that subscribe button. And don't forget to hit the bell so you won't miss our next episode. This episode was produced by Jake Aronson. This has been a Pair Payments production.